Chapter 19 of Ox Team Days on the Oregon Trail. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Dodge. Ox Team Days on the Oregon Trail by Ezra Meeker and Howard Driggs. Chapter 19 The Stampede for the Gold Diggings. Hardly had we got fairly over the Indian War when another wave of excitement broke up our pioneer plans again. On March 21, 1858, the schooner Wild Pigeon arrived in Steelacoom with the news that the Indians had discovered gold on the Fraser River, and they had traded several pounds of the precious metal with the Hudson's Bay Company, and that 300 people had left Victoria and its vicinity for the new land of el dorado furthermore the report ran the mines were exceedingly rich the wave of excitement that went through the little settlement upon the receipt of this news was repeated in every town and hamlet of the whole pacific coast it continued even around the world summoning adventurous spirits from all civilized countries of the earth Everybody, women-folk and all, wanted to go, and would have started pell-mell had there not been that restraining influence of the second thought, especially powerful with people who had just gone through the mill of adversity. My family was still in the blockhouse that we had built in the town of Stellacum during the Indian War. Our cattle were peacefully grazing on the plains a few miles away. One of the local merchants, Samuel McCall, bundled up a few goods, made a flying trip up the Fraser River, and came back with fifty ounces of gold dust, and the news that the mines were all that had been reported, and more, too. This, of course, added fuel to the flame. We all believed that a new era had dawned upon us, similar to that of ten years before in California, which changed the world's history. High hopes were built, most of them to end in disappointment. Not but that there were extensive mines, and that they were rich, and that they were easily worked. How to get to them was the puzzling question. The early voyagers had slipped up the Fraser before the freshets came down from the melting snows to swell the torrents of that river. Those going later either failed altogether and gave up the unequal contest, or lost an average of one canoe or boat out of three in the persistent attempt. How many lives were lost never will be known. Contingents began to arrive in Stellacombe from Oregon, from California, and finally from the States. Steamers, great and small, began to appear, with little cargo, but with passenger lists that were said to be nothing compared to those of ships coming in, less than a hundred miles to the north of us. These people landing in Watcom in such great numbers must be fed, we agreed. If the multitude would not come to us to drink the milk of our cows and eat their butter, what better could we do than to take our cows to the place where we were told the multitude did not hesitate to pay a dollar a gallon for milk, and any price one might ask for fresh butter? But how to get even to Watcom was the rub. All space on the steamers was taken from week to week for freight and passengers, and no room was left for cattle. 
In fact, the run on provisions for the gold rush was so great that at one time we were almost threatened with famine. Finally, our cattle, mostly cows, were loaded in an open scow and taken in tow alongside the steamer, the seabird, I think it was. All went well enough until we arrived off the head of Whitby Island. Here a choppy sea from a light wind began slopping over the scow and eventually would sink us despite our utmost efforts at bailing. When the captain would slow down the speed of his steamer, all was well, but the moment greater power was applied, over the gunwales would come the water. The dialogue that ensued between the captain and me was more emphatic than elegant. He dared not risk letting go of us, however, or of running us under, for fear incurring the risk of heavy damages. I would not consent to be landed. So, about the 20th of June, we were set adrift in Bellingham Bay, and tired and sleepy landed on the beach. Our cows must have feed, they must be milked, and milk must be marketed. There was no rest for us during another 36 hours. In fact, there was but little sleep for anybody on that beach at that time. Several ocean steamers had just dumped 3,000 people on the beach and there was still a scramble to find a place to build a house or stretch a tent or even to spread a blanket, for there were great numbers already there, landed by previous steamers. The staking of lots on the tide flats at night when the tide was out seemed to be a staple industry. A few days after my arrival, four steamers came with an aggregate of more than 2,000 passengers. Many of these, however, did not leave the steamer, they took passage either to their port of departure, San Francisco or Victoria, or to points on the Sound. The ebb tide had set in, and although many steamers came later and landed passengers, their return list soon became large and the population began to diminish. Taking my little dory that we had with us on the scow, I rode to the largest steamer lying at anchor, so many small boats surrounded the steamer that I could not get within a hundred feet of it. All sorts of craft filled the intervening space, from the smallest Indian canoe to large barges, the owner of each craft striving to secure customers. The great difficulty was to find a trail to the gold fields. This pass and that pass was tried without success. I saw sixty men with heavy packs on their backs start out in one company. Every one of these had to come back after floundering in the mountains for weeks. The Indians, among whom the spirit of war still smoldered, headed off some of the parties. The snows kept back others, and finally the British, watching their own interest, blocked the way through their land. As a result, the boom bust, and people resought their old homes. It is doubtful if another stampede of such dimensions as that to the Fraser in 1858 ever occurred where the suffering was so great and the prizes so few, and the loss of life proportionately so great. Probably not one in ten that made the effort reached the mines, and of those who did, the usual percentage drew the blanks inevitable in such stampedes. And yet the mines were immensely rich. Many millions of dollars of gold came from the find in the lapse of years. And gold is still coming, 
though now more than sixty years have passed. While the losses of the people of the Puget Sound country were great, nevertheless good came out of the great stampede in the large accession of population that remained after the return tide was over. Many people had become stranded and could not leave the country, but went to work with a will to make a living there. Of these, not a few are still honored citizens of the state that has been carved out of the territory of that day. End of chapter 19